This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 77 of the Equalizer podcast. Dan Lawletta and Chelsea Bush are back in the hot seat as the NWSL picture Begins to crystallize the North Carolina Courage are suddenly, but maybe not surprisingly, on a roll. And that roll has gotten them some historic results and a third consecutive NWSL Shield. Red Stars are back in good form and they are into the playoffs. The Thorns are not in great form, but they did beat the Dash on Saturday night. And that got them into the playoffs, even if neither the Thorns nor the league knew it until Sunday morning. Royals and Rain playing a little hot potato with the fourth spot, and the Spirit are the only team that have a miracle chance to put both the Royals and Rain out. The Dash now officially eliminated the Sky Blue FC and the Pride have been for some time. So Chelsea, uh, all four games on Saturday night, which is never ideal to uh, you know kind of consume all of them, but it seems like we had this weird season where things were a little bit muddled, and you wake up Sunday morning. And the three teams we all thought were the best from the start of the season are the three teams that are right back in the playoffs again. Yeah, there was a while. I think at the beginning of the season that, you know, Washington looked pretty good. Utah looked pretty good. You start to see, okay, maybe things are going to be different this year. Maybe it's and, – and to be fair, it was not a uh, total, you know, runaway like it was last year where it was just painfully obvious from the start how things were going to play out. And it does – obviously the rules in the rain are kind of – kind of come down to the wire but I mean you have the shield winners repeating for three years in a row you have the thorns and, and Chicago making the playoffs for what five years in a row now it'll be it's four for the thorns five for the red stars yeah um North Carolina making the playoffs if you go back to their their western New York what four now yep so it's getting and then the other one is either going to be the rain who have been there before or the Royals, who are new, but also kind of have that FCKC pedigree. So it's a little – I don't want to say disappointing because obviously you want to see good teams rewarded. And it's – it's especially in, in some cases like Chicago, like new, North Carolina, where you see where a lot of their core players were, were players that they, they drafted. And they built up this core, built around it over time. It wasn't just they went out and, and acquired a bunch of superstars and kind of created these teams. And it's good to see that rewarded. But I'm going to be honest with you, Dan, I, I'm, I'm a little bit, dis- I am a little bit disappointed. I guess that is the word. Just that it's once again, kind of the same. And we have the potential to have the same two teams in the final that we've had for the last two years now. And that's a little, gets a little old, to be honest. I look at this, um, I'm not disappointed by the courage because I am just blown away by what the courage have built and how the courage have sustained it. Um, I don't know why, but I'm a little bit less excited about the Thorns continuing to 
build on what they've done now for the last four, basically since Mark Parsons got there and they redid their roster quite a bit ahead of that 2016 season. I, I don't mind it as much as you do because I don't mind the excellence coming through. I think what I mind, though, is not, you know, looking at these games and looking at the season, and I think, you know, it was a very quiet offseason, remember. Not a lot happened in the offseason. They expanded rosters, which I think contributed and teams just didn't seem really to want to make moves, which surprised me based on how far some of the teams downstream had to go to catch up to the Courage and the Thorns and, to a lesser extent, the Red Stars. So I don't like watching things that seem inevitable, but I don't mind watching the Courage and, to a lesser extent, the Thorns just, like, build these programs. And this is something we never saw in other leagues because if they were starting, the leagues would kind of – Expire, and I think that the I think the fact that the Courage haven't had a great season, but just kind of flipped the switch about two or three weeks ago, is pretty remarkable for a team that you could you would not blame them maybe if motivation was not a hundred percent for them this season after what they did last season and so many of their players winning the World Cup, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to I don't want to you know be like I'm mad, like I'm annoyed that these teams won. Like you said, excellence should be rewarded, and they've put in the work. It's just you know, it takes some of the excitement away for me. Um, I do find it interesting, though, because I think that the Courage and the Thorns are both not as good as they were last year. Agreed. And out of the three that have clinched, I think only Chicago is better. And yet, you know, Chicago's in a higher position right now and could, you know, potentially host a playoff game. I don't think they've done that since 2015. But it's still kind of, it's still kind of you know, kind of impressive and kind of, again, disappointing because you want to see those other teams – make the improvements and make the league more exciting. I mean, the most movement we saw was out of Sky Blue, and those were players requesting trades. And, you know, they, they've done some things. I think they've kind of slowed that tide and then changed their narrative a little bit. But, as you know, I don't look at many teams besides Chicago and the Royals and say, yeah, they really put in the work, and they're a lot better than they were last year. Well, I don't know I, that they even made a lot of moves. They just took what they had and built on it. Yeah, and the spirit mostly built through the draft, but, you know, they're moving in the right direction. I'll disagree slightly about Sky Blue, though. The narrative has changed a little bit in terms of they're getting more people. They have a more likable general manager, both publicly and seemingly behind the scenes. They're going to have their second game at Red Bull Arena. But it remains to be seen whether or not that translates into players actually wanting to be there. They still had an interim coach and replaced him with another interim coach when they said they were getting ready to hire a full-time coach. And they, they're also – sorry, go ahead. No, I was just say, they still need a venue for next season and don't have one, and next season's not too terribly far away at this point. What were you going to add there? I was going to say, and on top of all that, they're still not a very good team. I mean, I can't, I can't believe they won last night, to be honest. I thought they were getting outplayed. Yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like – and I think that's actually been an issue for the rain this season is outplaying teams and not getting results. But yeah, they pretty much got one ball into Carly Lloyd and she took advantage of it and voila, won nothing. And I thought the rain, I thought the rain really needed to win that game. I thought that was a no excuse game for them. Oh yeah. I think they're going to look back on their season. I think when they don't make the playoffs, that's going to be the game they point to. And yeah, they dropped points elsewhere, but that's the one where they had all the pieces. They had Megan Rapino back for 45 minutes. Obviously she's, Still has a lot to go to get to get match fit, um, but as much as they've had injuries, and you can point this out and the other, that is a game they should have won. And 
you have to do that to, to make the playoffs and to succeed in the playoffs. You have and to the, win those games. Yeah, and the Royals are doing the same thing because either one of those teams could have had the other one buried by now. But just to finish up on Sky Blue, they had Mace, Haley Mace and Julia Ashley were both first-round picks that didn't come. Well, Julia Ashley is currently in the United States. Her contract overseas ended, and she's not playing for anybody. So if she wanted to play for Sky Blue FC, you would think they would have already contacted the team, come to an agreement, and she'd be playing. Instead, her rights expire with them at the end of the season, and she becomes a discovery player. So you have to assume, based on all those facts, that she's waiting it out and intends to go and play somewhere else. So in order for them to flip the narrative, they're going to have to actually create a culture where players are going to want to be, and they're not going to wind up trading a high first-round pick for Caprice Didasco, a backup keeper, and Estelle Johnson, right? Johnson's very good. Didasco's okay. Backup goalkeeper you can get anywhere. That, that's a bad – I mean, that's a bad trade, and they were forced into it. Yeah, and they've – you look at play teams, not just Sky, but look at Orlando or even Houston to an extent. These lower-ranked teams, a lot of it is because they shoot themselves in the foot. They get themselves in the positions where players want out, or they're desperate to find something that they think can work now. They trade away their draft picks. They, they lose good players because the players don't want to stay. I mean, you, Sky Blue has had good players. They had Savannah McCaskill, who I think has is a, an immense ceiling. Never Me could too. get the best out of her. Had to let her go. She's now doing better, at, I would say, at Chicago, and then has a I think has a bright future ahead of her. So, And then they pay for these mistakes for years and years and years. Well, the pride in particular, they came into the league – and everyone said, why are you coming in in an Olympic year when you're going to lose some of your big-time players? Why not come in after the Olympics? But they wanted in, and they essentially sold their soul to get Alex Morgan on the team. Not a terrible idea. She's a terrific player when healthy. She's a terrific marketing agent when she's there, which is, and she has been that for them. But they are still chasing the draft picks they gave away, and they're still chasing some of the assets that they gave away to the point where this offseason they brought in a new coach and GM and they had next to zero roster flexibility. And they may be looking at something similar again heading into this offseason. Although they do at least do have, I believe they have their, their draft picks are in order at least. So they might have the highest pick they've ever made. But they basically sold their soul for Morgan. They got Marta. It didn't work. They didn't get over the top, and now they are – you know, they have Morgan and Marta, and they're terrible, and they've got to figure out how to rectify that. And I'm not sure what the answer is. No, yeah, I don't either. But and you have to factor in also the salary cap. I mean, look at the pride. They've got a lot of players who are probably playing, making pretty good money, a lot of international players. Um, who I mean, You have Ali Krieger, who's not allocated, but surely has to be making a high salary. You have surely the veteran like max. Whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, you, you have someone like Alana Kennedy who's probably making pretty good. You've got Marta has to be at the max. I mean, that gives them so little flexibility. And, and I think that, that Skinner, you know, you look at Emsley, I think that was a great pickup for them. And so he's obviously has the ability to identify and attract some good players, but there's only so much that he can do there. And I don't know how, yeah, I agree. I don't know how you dig yourself out of these holes. It just seems like a, a Again, they want something now. They trade away things for the future. It doesn't work out. You can't just go and pick out one or two players and all of a sudden turn a losing season into a playoff one. It just no, not in this league. It doesn't work like that. 
Now we'll put the Rain and Royals kind of together because they are they have about the same chance of making it into the playoffs. But of the other teams, and I'll even give the Rain all the injury. I think if the Rain were healthy, particularly if Fishlock was there, they'd be that fourth playoff team. But of the other five teams or four teams, I guess who is the most disappointing? To me, it's easily Houston. Oh, by far. I mean. I, you and I both had agreed before the season that they should have picked up a lot of points during the World Cup break. They had players like Huerta who should have had not, I want to say breakout season, but sort of a return to, to really, I mean, they have, they have so many talented players. It baffles me that, and I, again, I, I'm, I've been pretty clear on this in past podcasts that I'm always willing to give a coach more than, than just one season to turn a roster around. But the fact that you have players like Daly and Ojai who can't seem to find the back of the net to save their lives when they've done that in the past, that, that's concerning. Their defensive issues, they've always been there, and they, they weren't going to change. Um, but the fact that they still can't seem to finish, you know, they had chances last night. CC Kaiser had several good chances at the end of the game. They should have tied that game. They, they weren't the better team, but they had enough chances, good chances, that they should have gotten one past a very good goalkeeper. Well, And just in general, they've played, what, 20, 21 games, whatever it is, You've got Daly, Huerta, and Ojai. They should accidentally come up with a four-goal game at some point between them. Like, they should just, by pure, just the fact that they're out there, should just tear apart a game at some point, and it just it hasn't happened. Yeah, we saw that last season. I mean, they tore apart. Again, Sky Blue and Washington were terrible last year, but Houston wasn't that different than they were last year. I mean, the personnel was, a lot of it was the same, and they did have some of those games where they just blew them out of the water. All right, I want to talk a little bit about their Tuesday game in North Carolina tactically, but when I get into that, it'll open up a different can of worms. So let's uh, step aside for a moment, and we'll come back and get into the uh, Tuesday night. I don't know if we want to call it a fiasco, but not the best not the best midweek for NWSL, let's put it that way. With Chelsea, I'm Dan. This is the Equalizer Podcast. Back on the Equalizer podcast, this is episode 77. I'm Dan Lawletta. I've got Chelsea Bush with me. And a friendly reminder to please rate and review the Equalizer podcast. The better ratings and reviews that you give us, the more great content we can bring to you. So please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. Chelsea, we finished up the last segment talking about the Dash. And I thought their Tuesday night game, and yes, they did play Tuesday, in North Carolina was one of the more interesting tactical matches we've seen this season because, and I did speak to James Clarkson on Monday, so maybe that um, led me to watch it a little bit differently, but I thought that it was a rare occasion where a coach went into a game, said, you know what, we're not as good as this team on, you know, even footing, and we're going to play like we're not as good as them, and we're going to try to steal a result. And they darn near did it, and... There's a little bit more to it than that, but just on the let's start with the, just the tactical front. I really enjoyed watching that. I think that maybe was an example of how the first year coach has grown into the role a little bit since the start of the season. Yeah, I thought that they played very very well defensively, and then to a similar extent uh, last night against the Thorns, they were very compact. They got numbers behind the ball. They did a really good job of not letting their um, backline gets stretched too much. I mean, it's it's North Carolina. They're going to get in behind. But I think they limited those chances, and I think they got a little bit of luck because I think it was one of those games where North Carolina just wasn't finishing, and we all know that happens. 
Jane Campbell made some very good saves. But but yeah, they they executed it. I thought very very well, and then took something they didn't really do as much last night against the Thorns, but they did. I thought better against North Carolina was you know execute on the counter they didn't finish any of those as we talked about that in the last session but they were creating the opportunities when they got them and taking advantage of that and playing very quickly against a team who's known for also being very quick so yeah I thought they did excellently as far as that goes and we we can't hide from the fact that in a league where there are often complaints about the referees that this was one of the worst refereed games I've ever seen uh, the penalty call that created the goal was horrendous. Not ticky-tack, not I can see how you would have thought that was a penalty watching it in real time. It was a horrendous call. Uh, there also should have been a call against Hinkle. There was a boot to the face. It should have been a card. There was all kinds of stuff. It was awful. Yeah, probably the worst officiated women's soccer game I've seen in NWSL since the uh... – 2017 final and what a shit I show would, that was. I would agree. Maybe, yeah, I, maybe we're in some ways, maybe worse, but let's not go to the comparison thing. <laughs> yeah, because, and it's also about consistency. Some officials call it, um, officials call it, you know, more strict than others. And then as long as they set kind of a tone early on, you see what they're going to do. I can live with that. This one, I mean, you had, Probably two yellow cards missed in the first half. I would I would say Kristen Hamilton, that boot to the face, obviously should have been – I think that was Hamilton, right? I think so. Yeah, should have been a yellow card. I think Sophie Schmidt probably should have gotten a yellow card in the first half for persistent infringement. Um, and then you look at the, the, the non-penalty against Hinkle and then the penalty called against Mewis, and not only was that penalty called against Mewis, I mean, there was minimal contact. I'm not going to go out and say a player dove, but there was minimal contact. It, it was not even a foul. It was just – two players touching each other things these things happen I don't think you can call every single little bit of contact a foul in soccer you're not going to have any sort of a game but you look at that in light of the contact that there was between Huerta and Hinkle in North Carolina's box if that's not called that's your if that's your baseline how do you even make the argument that the other one is called that's what I don't understand if you want to call both that would be one thing but to call the lighter the much obviously lighter one and not the other one it just baffles me but didn't Dunn and didn't Dunn initiate the contact? Like she kind of just fell into Mewis. Like Mewis wasn't even facing Crystal Dunn. Yeah, that's. What, I mean, I think it was incidental. I, I don't think. I think it was again two players' bodies touching. Sometimes things lose their balance, they fall over. I don't think there was any any sort of a foul made on Chrissy Mewis's part. I'm also, for the most part, I am more okay with missing a penalty than I am with calling a penalty that shouldn't be a penalty. That's not to, I mean, look, Hinkle call, I don't know who she took. Was it Daly that she took down? I think it was Huerta. Huerta. Yeah, it was Huerta. You're right. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a, that was an obvious penalty, but I would rather, if you're not sure, don't call the penalty than if you're not sure on the other side, call the penalty. There's still well, both I mean, bad what, calls. Yeah, but I just, I prefer some, some consistency. You at least give, both teams more of an even playing field. And it was just, I say, I don't know if something was said to the, the referee at halftime because I think it came out and really started calling things a lot differently. And you can't, again, you can't, you have to be consistent. You can't set the tone in the first half and let players get away with some things. You know, give them a speaking to, you don't, you don't say, you don't say, Hey, this is, you've done this two, th- two times, three more, you know, three more, you're getting a card and just all of a sudden start calling it. Like they're not, how are they supposed to know how to play the game? And I don't think you should 
you should play to see what you can get away with. I don't, uh, I guess, approve of that. But at the same time, you, you have to know what's going to happen when you're you're going into the game. And I, I just think he was he was wildly all over the place. Right, and I've long said that if you're going to fix the referee problem, and there is a referee problem, then the players and coaches need to be part of the solution. You can't try to get away with everything and then blame the referees when you fool them or when your opponent fools them. Yeah, and then we, we, you know, people like to say that there's no diving in women's soccer or not nearly as much as men's soccer. Uh, a lot case, more than there was a year or two ago. More, exactly. There's a lot more than, than – and then so it's starting to be a little – they're just playing to, the, you know, trying to get that whistle, and it takes so much – of the of the beauty out of what's supposed to be the beautiful game, so much. Of I, it. I agree. And if you go and if you want to talk about consistency and another one of the worst referee games ever, that 2012 Olympic semifinal when they called McLeod for holding the ball too long, <laughs> like yes. you, like that's just not a like if you call that fine, call it, but don't just pull you, it out in the Olympic semifinal. That's yeah, something that's never called. Yeah, that's and, and you know, and then the Courage Dash game, you got the guys calling, you know, he turned, called a foul throw in, which again, you know, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have to throw the ball in correctly, but you're missing cards and penalty calls, and you're calling foul throws, and then in stoppage time. He's backing players up on throw-ins in the defensive half of the field. It, and that I just it, the game, the whole game left me quite dissatisfied uh, with having invested yeah, my will, ninety minutes. I will say that I was told that this was, I think, his second NWSL game. Um, yes, that's correct. So maybe needs a little bit more practice. I would say certainly not ready for what's a tier one professional game. That's just it's unfair to the players. I would also say that while yes, there is a, you know, part of the problem is that the NWSL is a stepping stone. Uh, they don't get paid as much as MLS officials. So guess what? The officials are going to want to be in MLS where they make more money and have a longer season. But there's no level of any sport where there's not a perceived officiating problem. I mean, one of the biggest storylines of the weekend, last weekend, was a botched call in an NFL game, which was a rematch of a playoff game, which had maybe the worst call in the history of any pro sports officiating. So, it, don't you know, don't make it seem like you spend a few more dollars and the referees get infinitely better to the point where they don't make these kinds of mistakes. Yes, there's an issue with, um, I don't know what word I'm looking for, but guess there's an issue where you want to make it, a, you know, you want to make someone say, hey, I'm in the NWSL, I'm making good money, this is where I want to be, but it's not quite that simple. Yeah, meanwhile, meanwhile, in that game, um, Rachel, well, let's not let's leave Rachel Daly out of it, but Mara Mathias tore her ACL in that game, so she's out for the season. She wasn't happy about it, but after Rachel Daly on Twitter, I get it, she was not she was frustrated, you know, her season's over, probably a good portion of next season is is uh, also off the table for her. How about the fact that it looks now like Heather O'Reilly, who it looked like she was going to be starting her last game when they gave her that ceremonial start and they honored her. Heather O'Reilly is now going to exit her pro career, probably as the starting right back on the favorites to win the NWSL championship. How wild is that? It is wild. And I think that their, their future in the playoffs kind of not rides on her, but you, you can't tell me you look at that lineup and say the other teams are going to attack her side. They should. So, yeah. So it's, 
yeah, that's going to be very interesting. The only thing you don't want to do if you attack her side is turn the ball over, because if she gets to attacking your side, then you could be in some trouble. But Yeah, because that's her bread and butter right there. Yes. Uh, I'm interested to see how Hinkle's game will change on the other side. She scored uh, quite a fascinating goal. That uh, Nicole Barnhart has had a wonderful season, but that was not a wonderful moment for her. Ball going through her hands. But, yeah, I, th- I think it's wild that here's Heather O'Reilly. And, you know, I give her so much credit because she could have hung it up after she finished on the international stage. She could have gone somewhere else where she could have played more. Now, I know she went to North Carolina because that's where she lives with her husband. But not everybody who is Heather O'Reilly would be a backup outside back when you spend most of your career as a midfielder and forward. And uh, I think she'll relish the opportunity. They obviously haven't missed a beat yet, but it'll be tough when North Carolina and Chicago get involved. I mean, and how many many players switch positions in their 30s after their – a big portion, you know, of their career, their international career is over. Yeah. That, that's it's just, it's crazy. I, I feel like most, you know, players say, "Hey, yeah, I want to come play, you know, for kind of my hometown team for a little while." And the coach says, "Okay, I'll take you, but you're here's what you're going to be." And I think they're saying, "You know what? I'll just I'll just hang it up. I'm not learning a new position at the very last stage of my career when I'm kind of just yeah. want to ride no, into the sunset." No doubt about it. Now, look, hey, national teams always looking for a right back, right? Maybe she's looking for a way back in. Going to that right back spot. <laughs> um, all right, what else uh, do we have coming out of the weekend? I guess Sam Kerr, not bad. Yeah, Breaks her own record. 50 goals over three seasons now with a big chunk of time missing for the World Cup. Yeah, um, that's that's pretty crazy. The fact that she missed a couple of you know, those games and still broke her own record is going to get golden boot for – According to Anna Dong on Twitter last night, the fifth you know time in a row to consider three NWSLs and then two W leagues in between. Um, that's that's nuts. It's remarkable. I don't have anything else really to say? Is. That's just nuts. It really is. And but I think you and I agree. When the playoff game rolls around, it's it's kind of time for her to to have a big game and a big game. So to speak. For sure. Yeah, I, I think it's it's past time. She had a disappointing World Cup. She's I mean, it was disappointing in the playoffs last year. It's kind of been disappointing in W League playoffs. I, I think that you get all these accolades and they're very deserved, but it is it is definitely time for her to to have a big game and I think that Chicago's future rides on her having a big game. Now going back to the beginning of the pod when you were saying you were disappointed with the inevitability factor with the three best teams being right back in the playoffs. How much does that change if the Red Stars can break through and get to the final? Because I think we're almost pre-programmed at this point to think that the Red Stars will get in the playoffs and lose in the semi. I mean, I think it would be good for them to change the story around their team. And then that is, that is, you know, it's impressive to reach the playoffs when you continually hit that, hit that semifinal wall. You know, questions start to start to be asked, and when is a team good but not good enough? Um, and you have people that you know, players that people want to call the best in the world, and a variety of of positions are among the best in the world. You have what four World Cup champions? I mean, that roster is as stacked as it's ever going to be for Chicago. Um, and I think it would, yeah, I think if if at least they make it into the final, first of all, like I said, we wouldn't have a Thorns Courage final again, which would be at least something different. Um, and I think that Chicago, again, is probably 
out of those three teams, the only one that looks better than they were last last season. Yeah. So you kind of want to see that get rewarded. So yeah, I think it'd be I think it'd be interesting to see them go. And very likely they'll get the Thorns in the playoffs. Whether we'll find out if that's in Portland or Chicago, or if maybe the Rainer Royals make a a big run and spoil that. But hey, Red Stars haven't beaten the Thorns in six years, so they've got to overcome that too. If that's the semifinal match. Well, and what a what a storyline that would be for the first time in six years to be the first time you also win a semifinal. Yeah, for sure. That was their first. <clears throat> excuse me, their first win ever in the league was over the Thorns, and they haven't beaten them since. Yeah, well, what happened? Uh, I, I don't. You know, it's it's not total domination. <laughs> if you those games have been close, right? The four four game this year. There's been a lot of other draws. It's not like they. It's not like they're totally bamboozled. But at some point, you figure you got to get three points. So no better time to break yeah. it, like you said, than the semis. Yeah, I think that, that when a team goes a long time without beating another team, I think it was the same between Houston and, and the Rain for, what, three or four years yeah. until last year. There were no draws I mean, there either. That was like 12-0 and 0 or something like that, 10-0. Yeah, and 0. to me, that's, that's fascinating that some some teams just seem to have a kryptonite over the other team, and I always wonder why that is. Yeah, it's interesting. Team culture, I think, is a very underrated uh, talking point. In sports. All right, we'll step out one more time. We'll come back, take a couple of questions from the uh, Q&A hashtag, and uh, wrap up on Episode 77 of the Equalizer podcast. Third and final segment on Episode 77 of the Equalizer podcast, and that means it's time for the Equalizer Soccer Sports Reference Stat of the Week, brought to you by our partners at Sports Reference, check out their women's soccer stats catalog at fbref.com. That's fbref.com. And for this week, let's dive a little deeper into the streaks that have been extended. North Carolina Courage win the Shield for the third time in a row. That had never happened before. Previously, Seattle Rain FC won two in a row, 2014-2015. Major League Soccer, for a little bit of a parallel reference, so they've always had more teams, it has never happened. Red Stars, meanwhile, they extended their streak of getting into the playoffs, their league record, to five years in a row. They had lost 2015 to Kansas City, 2016 to Washington, the last two years to North Carolina, so maybe the fifth time will be a charm for the Red Stars. First time any team's ever been in the playoffs five years in a row. Thorns, meanwhile, make it four years in a row in the playoffs, which matches the Courage slash Flash. And they have met up all three previous times. Thorns losing to the Flash in 2016, beating the Courage to win the title in 2017, and then losing to the Courage in the final in 2018. So four playoffs in a row and three straight shields for the Courage. League record extending now five straight playoffs for the Red Stars four straight playoffs for the Thorns, and let's throw in that Mark Parsons has now been a coach in the NWSL for six full seasons, and he has been in the playoffs all six times, the only exception when he took over the Washington Spirit midway through what was a very bad season one, and they didn't make the playoffs. And that, folks, is the Sports Reference Stat of the Week brought to you by fbref.com or brought to you by Sports Reference and check out their women's soccer stats, new and improved every day at fbref.com. Uh, Chelsea, uh, probably not your favorite stat of the week seeing since uh, you were complaining about the lack of parity around the league, but how about Parsons, six years and six playoffs, doesn't get enough 
credit, I don't think, for the jobs he's done with his gloves over the years. Yeah, I agree. I mean, just from the start when he came in and then took over Washington, and um, you you could tell a change from from that point on. Take them to the point they did to jump to a completely completely different team, completely different culture, and also become you know arguably more successful with them. I think is is truly impressive because I, I like I said, those are two completely different situations, and he just took the opportunity and ran with it. And it's funny, if you talk to him and you can get him reminiscing a little bit, he'll say that, you know, that he always thinks back to 2013 where he would stay up all night and prepare for 12, 14 hours a day, and whatever we did, still couldn't win a game. But certainly that has changed. All right, let's get to the Q&A. In the Weeds says, Sky Blue and Houston were surprisingly competitive this week. Will they spoil any playoff races? What's changed for them from blowouts earlier in the season. Um, that, Did, uh, didn't Sky Blue already possibly spoil a playoff race? Uh, yeah, that, 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 mean, is, that is correct. That is the definition of playing spoiler right there if, if things keep going this way. Houston's got Washington on Wednesday on national TV. If they win that game, they put Washington straight out of the playoff race. Uh, Sky Blue then plays Orlando on Sunday, so that won't spoil anything. Um, Sky Blue Courage won't spoil anything. That's their finale. And Houston is in Utah last day of the season. That that could be interesting because uh, the rain are all, uh, no, they're not. Rain were in Orlando that last weekend and Dash are in Utah. So, hey, maybe the Dash can, uh, yeah, maybe the Dash can do some damage. But, uh, yeah, look, both teams are playing better. I think the Dash are getting uh, what's what's the opposite of regressing to the mean? I guess uh, you know rising to what you should have been, and you know I mean let's not get too crazy about Sky Blue either. They still have what six wins in two years, so let you know let's not let's not go crazy on that. Yeah, I think you know, you pointed out earlier with regards to Houston, it was it's kind of we're seeing James Clarkson sort of starting to, to to figure out things a little bit more and to get to know his team better, know what they're capable of, and and get a, a better game plan for the opponents that he's facing. So I think that's what it is there. Sky Blue is just, I think they're doing what they're they're capable of, which they're going to scrape out a couple of wins here and there. Um, and again, like like we talked about, the Rain should should have won that game. Yep. So they weren't they weren't the better team. They just sometimes these things happen where the the better team doesn't win. Nichelle Protho, hopefully I got that pronunciation right. With only the spirit and sky blue to play, do the courage play aggressively for the win and intimidation factor? Or do they lay back and protect the health and energy of the courage players for the playoffs? Chelsea. I don't think the courage are capable of just laying back. Uh, I think we're going to see more rotation than we did from previous courage teams. We've already seen that this year. He is going to rest some players, but... They have one speed, and that's very, very fast. And particularly considering the momentum they have, the winning streak they have, the goal streak they have going on right now, I think it'd be a mistake to put any sort of a break to that. Totally agree. And I'm generally not a fan of, quote-unquote, protecting the health and energy of players. I think health especially, I think you're a pro athlete, there's a chance you're going to get injured every time out there. I don't think you overextend players to the point that they're going to be tired for the playoffs, but – I think you got to go out there and play. It's what they did last year. And can we just talk for a minute about the McCall's or Boney thing? I know she started last night, but how far has McCall's or Boney's star fallen, right? If we did April 1st, we all thought she'd be on the World Cup team, I think. 
and now she's barely starting for the courage. Yeah, and I mean, you can't really make an argument against either one. She's not had a great form this year. She's been fine, but not great. Um, she, you know, maybe I think you know, we've talked about in the past how her injury was kind of probably took more out of her than we, we thought. But I also wonder about maybe the mental aspect of it, of getting that close to being on a World Cup team when, when that probably looked like a, a distant, distant dream not too far, you know, not too long ago for her. Her incredible rise, I think, to the national team um, and just to fall off so completely and then to kind of, to honestly be, be kind of reserved now. If, I think if we're going into the final, she's not your starter. So I think mentally we have to say it, consider like how much that takes out of a player. Yeah, I don't think we consider that enough. And I also think that when we do consider it, we tend to assign mentalities to players and then expect them to live up to that assignment 100% of the time, which never happens. That's not really realistic. You know, she's known as one of the most positive people that you can meet, but that doesn't mean that there's not a breaking point because there is for everybody. And, you know, I do think it was – I do think she should have been on the World Cup roster unless maybe she was worse off physically than I realized. But I do get a kick out of, like, when every time Casey Short has a good game, and I'll see in my Twitter mentions about how worst mistake Jill Ellis made not bringing Casey Short to the World Cup. Well, they won the World Cup. So how bad could the same thing with Crystal Dunn in 2015? How bad could the roster decisions have been if they won the tournament? Yeah, well... I said this in 2015, and I'll say it in 2019. Was it the right call? Maybe, maybe not. We've, we've talked about that extensively, but you got to move on at some point. The players sure as hell have. Yeah, Dunn moved on about a week afterwards and started tearing up the NWSL. And I'm short, too. Casey Short's probably going to be Defender of the Year. Exactly. They've they've both dealt with it very well. They're, they're you know, Dunn made her way back on. I have no doubt that, you know, Casey Short's already been called back in. I have no doubt that a new coach is going to gonna get some looks at her, so... You, you kind of have to stop harping on it because honestly, it's probably they, players probably get tired of hearing about it more than we do. They speaking don't want to be reminded they missed out on World Cup gold. Speaking of that, how about Short and Sauerbrunn getting called for PKs on the same day? That and can't I, happen too often. Yeah, and, and both of them were like they weren't the most egregious I've ever seen, but I think they were fouls in the box. You know, I mean, <laughs> Short had that look on her face after she committed the foul. Like, ah, I guess she got me. Kind of, like I said, I think it was it was just one of those things where you had maybe a little bit too much contact that came in a little bit too. Sauerbrunn was a little late, short was a little hard. It wasn't the worst thing. It wasn't it wasn't as egregious as the uh, the dash in North Carolina um, one that was called. But yeah, that's that doesn't happen very often. They're both very clean players, but I guess everyone's human. And on the Alyssa Nair saving PKs, she might have gotten a little bit of a gift from Katie Naughton. Not Katie Naughton. Um, Steph Houghton in the World Cup, but boy, that was a nice save. In that oh, one. this was definitely better, a better save than the one yeah. in the World Cup. The, mentally, maybe not have been as, as much pressure, but exactly. the, the PK was much better taken. That was an excellent save. Yeah, Nair's been great since the World Cup. Uh, Nichelle Proto again, what are the second and third backup plans for right back in case the first plan doesn't go well? I'm assuming that's also about the courage since the first question was too. Um, I, mean, I, don't know, I mean, I don't know. Do you have a second and third backup plan? For these I, things, I mean, I think it's Paul Riley. I think he's got plenty of backup plans, and I think he has. I think he could actually have three, if for some reason. And I also think Heather Riley's the best option of the ones he has. I'll get back to that, but I think you have Ryan Williams, who I wouldn't go with because she's very, very inexperienced. I think you have Kara Caro, who I wouldn't go with because I don't think she has the pace required 
for a fullback on Paul Riley's team. And to to flashback to a couple of years ago, you could play Kristen Hamilton there because he's done it before. And briefly. I think she, <laughs> briefly. I think she has she, – now, there's just a couple of reasons that you probably wouldn't want to. I mean, first of all, she does have the willingness, but it's kind of like O'Reilly. She's not a defender. I think she's also been in such good form this year. Um, but if you're wanting to get both Lynn Williams and Jessica McDonald up top and you still want to get Kristen Hamilton on the field, that's an option. But I think that with O'Reilly, you have you have the pace to make up for positioning errors. She has the, the experience in big game moments. She has a wealth of, of knowledge of soccer in general that I think is, is invaluable to, to learning a new position. So I think that's probably the best option, the one, as, as we've seen, the one he's going to go with. I agree. And you know what? If O'Reilly also gets hurt and you have to go to your third option, well, not many teams do great things with their third options, you know. Yeah, and also maybe Dan, don't put that out in the universe. Start talk about Heather O'Reilly getting well. This, this is this is true. Ever. This is true. I'm waiting for my tweet to come back when I said that it was probably the last soccer game she would ever start a couple of weeks ago when they gave her that, and it would have been. I'm fairly confident of that. Would have been, but I'm not. I'm excited to see how she does rest of the way. All right, Robert McCann. Can the Red Stars beat Portland? Has moving Ertz and Davidson at center back made this team much better? Love your podcast. Hey, loves the podcast. What, what, why need? Why expand on that? No, um, yeah, they can beat Portland absolutely. Um, but I think, I, I think it's a tall ask in the sense that the Thorns have their number, like we talked about. I would say, I would give the coaching edge tactically in that matchup to Parsons. And I do think Ernst and Davidson at center back has been great. And I think it's also allowed Colaprico, who's now seemingly healthy, to do what she does best, which is sit on top of the back line. And I mean, I've been saying that for years, but anything different from you? No, no, I think you covered it. And, and I mean, obviously any team could beat any team, but do you give Red Stars a legitimate chance to win the game if they if it's a Portland semifinal? I think the Red Stars have as much of a chance right now as they ever have. They're they're playing very well. Roy's figured out his probably his best lineup. Um, I think that that they need to give Vanessa G. Bernardo back, but I think that they have more options off the bench. You know, you've Katie Johnson has been disappointing in Chicago, but she still can can make some nifty things happen. Some saw some good backhill moments <laughs> Saturday. Um, I think Kerr's in, in fine form. And I also think that Portland is just not – you're not getting the best out of Lindsey Horan. You're not getting the best out of um, their their defense. You're not getting the best out of – I think I think it's interesting that, that Haley Rasso continues to be chosen over Caitlin Ford. I think I would I would definitely maybe make a different decision there. So I think they have a, as good of a shot as they ever had. We're about to go long here, but we did have a postponed game, which, again, I think sometimes people like to pile on. The NWSL, there's been games postponed across the sports world for any number of bizarre reasons over the years. Then the Dash, maybe weren't going to be able to get out of Houston. The league suggested that they, I don't know how serious it was, but the league did say, why don't you just stay in the airport overnight? Why don't you get on a bus and go to another city? Which is not totally ludicrous if it's safe enough to do it. But, you know, the league also lost... Uh, more staff, which is someone that who had just come on, I think in June, is now gone. Their final is in less than five weeks, and 
the teams are drawing better and doing better, but the league still just seems to not be on stable footing. I don't want to spend too much time on this, and we've gone long already, but um, just to address it, what are your thoughts on, on the week that was off the field? I think that the league has some serious work to do in a variety of, of ways. We've seen a lot of staff leave that haven't been replaced, mostly in, and I'm thinking of Interbacel Media, their their arm, their their media arm, and I think we've seen that reflected. We get emails later; the site's not updated as quickly. We just there's just not as much going on there. And then I think that you you look back to when that arm was created with Meg Linehan running it, and how much better they did some of those things. It's disappointing to see that kind of kind of fall by the wayside. And I don't know if it's just a holding pattern until they officially move that that group to Chicago next year, or what their long term plan is. Um, but that it's just it's so hard to get any sort of an answer out of the league on anything. We don't ever get the sense that, you know, from obviously not being in behind the scenes, but we don't get the sense that anyone really knows what's going on sometimes, that people are unwilling to make concrete decisions. I mean, we saw that with the hurricane issue last year. It got dragged out way longer than it should have. And you have to put that on the league sometimes. I think that they don't have they don't have the staff there to make to do all the things that they need to do. The staff that they do have are very overworked. And I don't think they, they have someone in charge that puts their foot down and says, this is how it's going to be. And everyone's just kind of waiting for somebody else to take that lead. And I think it's a problem. That is all extremely well said. We're also may maybe or maybe not getting an expansion announcement coming up. And, you know, I'm pretty sure everyone who was in NWSL media on the content side when they when the A&E deal ended earlier this year is now gone. And uh, I don't know what the replacement situation is but i'm pretty sure everybody who was there in the beginning of the year is gone now and uh you know at some point they're going to have to realize they're running a pro sports league and they're going to have to treat themselves like a pro sports league or they're going to have a very low ceiling to where they can get and that 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 would be a shame because i do think the ceiling is high if if run properly so the interesting next couple of weeks um, as we go. But yeah, Rain Royals on Wednesday was rescheduled from last week due to uh, poor field conditions after excessive rain in Tacoma. Apparently not the first time it's happened at Cheney Stadium. So uh, be prepared for that. You've also got uh, Sky Blue back at Red Bull Arena next weekend. And uh, I don't know if I mentioned this, but a, a last word uh, before we go on a positive note. That 17,000 crowd, I know you guys did the pod last week, that 17,000 crowd at Audi Field for their second straight game there. I think that's the single most impressive attendance number this league's ever put out. Not the highest, but the most impressive. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. All right. Thank you very much once again for uh, hanging out with me, doing the podcast. This is episode 77. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Equalizer podcast.